Hi, welcome to Head Start, the podcast for race directors and the business of putting on races. Nestled in a valley in the foothills of the Rocky Mountains, Boulder, Colorado is often referred to as the fitness capital of the US. So it was a bit surprising to Phil Dumonte, a young East Coast entrepreneur moving to Boulder in 2017 to launch his smoothie bar business, to realize that Boulder, in all its glorious outdoorsiness and obsession with fitness, lacked a first-rate city marathon. Well, for most people, that would have been just a passing thought, but not to Phil, who made giving Boulder the downtown marathon it deserves a personal passion project. Fast forward a few years and a pandemic later, and Boulderthon, as the race got to be called, has grown into Colorado's largest fall race series. And today, with Phil's help, we'll be tracing Boulderthon's remarkable growth journey looking at the decisions and tactics that got it to where it is today, including the deliberate effort that went into creating alliances with local businesses and the local community, the insistence on including a marketing component to all partnership agreements with sponsors and external stakeholders, and Phil's unrelenting focus on tracking ROI across the entirety of the event's marketing spend, from online campaigns and podcast ads to distributing flyers and working with running influencers. As you'll no doubt pick up from today's discussion, Phil is someone who, unlike most race directors, very much enjoys the marketing side of race directing. So, if you're struggling for a few good insights or a fresh perspective on marketing your race, there is plenty of that for you in the next hour or so. So, stick around. Now, before we get into this amazing episode, I'd like to give a quick shout-out to our amazing podcast sponsor, Run Sign Up, race director's favorite all-in-one technology solution for endurance and fundraising events. More than 28,000 in-person, virtual, and hybrid events use Run Signups free and integrated solution to save time, grow their events, and raise more. And we'll be hearing a bit more from this great company a little later in the podcast. But now, let's dive into our discussion on the Boulderthon Race Series with race director Phil Dumonte. Phil, welcome to the podcast. Thanks so much for having me. Glad to be here. Well, thank you very much for making the time. Are you joining from Boulder? I am, yes. Awesome. How are things in uh, what your website describes to be the happiest city in the US? <laughs> We're very happy, but uh, very hot right now. Uh, getting a little bit of relief today, uh, but like everywhere else, it's been a very hot summer. So <laughs> You have the mountains next door if you want to just climb a bit and get a little bit cooler? Yeah, definitely a little bit cooler out there, which is some good relief. I visited Boulder, actually, in 2016, and I have very, very fond memories uh, from the place. It was quite surreal because at some point we were um, downtown, probably the mall where you guys have the start-finish line, and at some point, like, the whole road was blocked, and uh, the Dalai Lama showed up out of nowhere. Really? I don't know what was happening in Boulder, but it was it was quite curious. That was one year before I got here, so I'm not sure. <laughs> yeah, like, something was happening, and, like, you know, out of the blue, the Dalai Lama was there. But <laughs> even back then... I dragged my wife, actually, we were in Denver, so I dragged her out to Boulder because I thought, you know, like fitness capital of the world and everything. And and even back then, the city had a lot of stuff going for it. And I was reading since it's been named, obviously, one of the fittest cities in the US, uh, most vibrant arts communities, which I didn't I didn't pick up on. There must be quite, a, quite an art scene as well. And very importantly, um, most breweries per capita. Very important. <laughs> yeah, right, lots of things going for it. Is that is that am I? Is it still a great place to live? 
Absolutely. Yeah. Like you said, you hit the nail on the head. Such an outdoor playground, uh, vibrant art scene, great restaurants, um, just keeps getting better and better. And you're, um, you know, got the backdrop of the Flatirons Mountains. So um, just an amazing place to be. And is fitness still a big part of Boulder's kind of like identity? Absolutely. Yeah. I think um, anywhere you go, you see somebody running, cycling, uh, walking their dog, hiking, climbing. Uh, so it's just really ingrained in the culture here. And lots of lots of fitness businesses as well in Boulder, I remember. I mean, I guess traditional businesses, like I remember Newton, uh, you know, the running shoes are out there and, and probably lots of other companies I can't name right now. So very, very healthy from that point of view, sort of a bit of like a fitness business capital or like pretty, pretty strong city in that in, in the US. It is exactly. It makes um, makes it easy for us to work with and partner with the local companies too, like as we'll talk about, I'm sure. So absolutely. And it's quite surprising, actually, which we'll also talk quite a lot about. Obviously, it had all that, but not a major marathon. Exactly. I was shocked. Yeah, which, <laughs> which, which we'll, get to, um, we'll get to in a sec. Before we go into Boulderthon, which is going to be the focus of um, today's discussion, and I'm really looking forward to that because I've been hearing amazing stuff about the race. And obviously, it's been growing like mad. So it's interesting for everyone listening in to see if we can grab a couple of tips from what you guys have been doing there. I want to just spend a little bit of time on you because... I guess in a way, like uh, Boulder, you're a very accomplished person for your age. Well, thank you. You've been named in Forbes' 30 Under 30 for uh, entrepreneurship. You also launched a restaurant delivery service uh, back in the day, which you sold to Grubhub. So tell us a little bit about what you've been doing up to the point until you decided to reach Boulderthon. Yeah, so I've uh, always um, really been an entrepreneur since uh, I graduated from Boston College. Uh, like you mentioned, I started a restaurant delivery platform called Dashed uh, on my bicycle in, in partnership with uh, my brother. And um, we were doing food delivery, uh, but restaurants didn't offer delivery. Uh, and uh, so even then, there was the kind of um, you know fitness twist of it, I guess you could say, of uh, being on my bike and uh, delivering it faster than anybody else, timing myself. We took pride in how fast we did our, our deliveries to everybody. Um, so um, that was uh, you know an amazing business, and I grew that over the years, bootstrapped that, um, started that out of college, and uh, sold that to grow up in 2017, like you said, uh, and then had an opportunity to um, to have a kind of fresh fresh slate, blank canvas, um, kind of looking at my passions and what I love to do, and. Um, I've been a runner since I was uh, 11 years old doing New York Roadrunners races. So um, running's always been uh, intertwined in my life and an important part. Uh, came to Boulder to do a uh, sprint triathlon around the Boulder Reservoir. Um, was actually scouting it out as an opportunity for Dashed, my previous company, uh, as an expansion market uh, before I decided to sell it. Just fell in love with the culture and, and you know the overall atmosphere here and um, being such a fitness hub, like you mentioned earlier. Saw the opportunity that there wasn't a really strong, um, not many options for health, healthy restaurants, actually. So um, coming from the restaurant space where we were delivering for thousands of restaurants that didn't offer delivery, um, you know, had a lot of great experience working kind of indirectly and in partnership with restaurants um, and um, found coming from New York where there's just a lot of different options for uh, juice bars and organic cafes and smoothies. Uh, there was, wasn't many options uh, here for such a health mecca. So um, my wife and I started Wholesale Blend Bar, and uh, we've got six locations here now in Denver and Boulder, uh, and all organic, gluten-free, healthy options. Uh, uh, started the first one uh, soon after we moved here in 2018, 
Um, also, while um, in back of my mind, um, kind of wondering why there was no marathon here, one of the first things uh, I always like to do going to a city is, is, is run a race. Uh, I think it's one of the best ways to experience the uh, the, the, the city and, and, and kind of immerse yourself in it. Um, and so of course, signed up for Boulder, Boulder, an amazing race and do it every year. Um, but I wonder where's the marathon, you know, coming from, coming from New York and being really, um, fortunate enough to run the world marathon majors and experience marathons big and small. I said, where's the Boulder marathon? Um, so, uh, you know, as an entrepreneur does when there's an opportunity and, uh, there's passion behind it, um, very started very early on to start uh, making phone calls to the city, starting having those initial conversations, applying for permits, forming the nonprofit um, as early as 2017. And of course, we didn't have our first race until 2021. So uh, those are kind of the, the beginnings of, uh, of us Sierra and Boulder. One interesting thing you mentioned there that as an entrepreneur, you, you saw an opportunity and then you moved on to, to, um, to the next stage in that. Yet you, you decided to do this under a non-profit. Why did you choose to do that rather than set up a for-profit? Yeah, I think it really just came from just a place of authenticity and, and passion for running that. Um, and it was um, you know, never a, a primary business. We had our restaurants, um, we, were, we were starting them, we were growing them. Um, and it, it started really as kind of a side uh, passion project. Obviously, it's morphed into um, a full-time job at this point, <laughs> but, um, you know, I thought it was really important to create a community event. Um, number one, you know, we were coming in as, um, you know, moved here in 2017, uh, wanted to start a, a, a local race, um, that really was for the community, for runners, by runners. And, um, it was really important for us to kind of have that nonprofit, um, perspective to, um, to be able to bring in charity partners and, and really, uh, grow this race the way we wanted to, to make it a community event. I think one of the most interesting things about Boulderthon is the fact that there wasn't a marathon in Boulder, right? That th there was an opportunity. There. In fact, there was one that you guys took over. We're going we're gonna to go into that for a sec. But I think this is very important and I want to dwell in it a little bit because, you know, like the industry, most people would agree, is probably at a kind of saturation point. There's definitely parts of the market where, you know, there's perhaps too much choice for people and, and races are competing quite heavily on things. And still, you know, the, the first Spotlight episode I, I, I did for the podcast was for around the Crown 10K in Charlotte. And uh, Brian Mister there, you know, similar passion runner, decided to do like a grassroots type community race. Again, in, 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 in part to highlight the city and the running community there. And you'd think that, you know, again, Charlotte, East Coast has tons of races. You'd think super saturated and still the opportunities are there, I guess, if you just do your research and and look hard into it, right? W were you surprised that there wasn't a marathon in, in Boulder? I was shocked. And, um, and I think, you know, there were certainly um, trail marathons, you know, in fairness um, and races like that, uh, that pre-existed, but when I think of a marathon, you know, it is a signature downtown marathon experience. It is bringing the city together to showcase the best the city has to offer, like you said, um, in Charlotte too. So I, I was very surprised. And I, and I think a lot of that too, maybe potentially had to do with, um, when you think of Boulder, you obviously think of the Boulder Boulder. And again, just one of the world's best 10 keys. I do it every year and just love it. And, um, but it's, a, it's a different race, you know, it's a 10 K um, and that was really important to us too, to, um, kind of have that synergy, um, with that race series and, uh, very intentionally decided to put Boulderthon on the other side of the calendar, um, in October, 
um, where Boulder Boulders on Memorial Day weekend every year. Um, so kind of kicking off the season, we want to be a bookend and kind of have that really um, synergistic relationship um, and, and have a, an endurance race and have that half marathon, full marathon race series here um, in addition to it. I'm obviously aware of Boulder Boulder, but I'm not that familiar with the course. Do they have a downtown presence as part of the course? Absolutely, yeah. So that starts in uh, downtown and it finishes at the uh, CU Stadium for the 10K, yes. So do you think maybe that may have been the reason why perhaps there wasn't such eagerness to look at another kind of like downtown race? Yeah, exactly. And um, I think, uh, you know, there was, it's, it's such a massive race, you know, whether it's the second or third largest 10K um, you know, in, in the world, I, I don't know, I forget right now, but it's, it's, it's up there. And, you know, there's, there's quite an impact to residents, of course, um, for any race series. So something that is definitely top of mind in, in Boulder, given that race. And um, I think that was definitely the res- uh, reticence to uh, bring another race series to downtown and, and making sure that it was organized, we're mindful of, of the residents and the impact that it has to the community. So I've seen this um, statement both in your li- your literature, the website, and and elsewhere that um, Boulderton is the fastest growing running series in Colorado. What does that mean in terms of numbers since your launch? What kind of growth have you guys had? So in our first year in 2021, we had 1,600 runners, and last year, uh, 2022, uh, we went up to 4,000 runners, uh, so almost tripled. Uh, and this year, we're on track to uh, to bring in over 6,000 runners uh, from all 50 states and 15 countries, um, Boulder being such, such a destination. And was the intention for 2021 to be the inaugural year or were you tripped over by COVID? <laughs> I was tripped over by COVID like everybody else. Yeah, 2020 was actually our first year um, and we had to push it back twice. Um, so um 2021 was our first year. Um, and so in a sense, you know, 1600 runners was actually kind of accruing two years of signups. Um, so interesting. <laughs> How was that? I, I wonder, because Steamboat Gravel, which was a, it's a very prestigious uh, gravel race that, that we had on the podcast as well, and I think probably around the crown as well, sort of started around uh, COVID. How, how demoralizing, how much of a knockback was it for you guys? Oh, it was really challenging. I mean, we, we were ready to go. And especially being a first-year inaugural race, um, there's always this kind of question of, will it happen? What what will it be like? Um, you know, what um, What is it going to be like, especially in that environment? Um, so I think, you know, it's hard for any race, um, no matter how many years of history you have. But being a first-year race, there was that added pressure to really um, deliver. And, um, so it was, um, we were, we were really excited and put years of work into kind of approvals and, um, getting the course set and bringing it all to life. So disappointing, but, um, but it was awesome to bring that back, bring it to life in 2021 for the first year. Yeah. And indeed 1600 runners for a first year event. I mean, it's, it's, it's no, uh, no mean achievement in terms of 2023. How does those numbers break down between the dif- the different sort of like distances? Yeah, so our, our half is the most popular race, um, perhaps, you know, unsurprisingly, and um, uh, followed by the uh, the full marathon. And then we did launch the 5K and 10K just last year, as well as the kids run. So our first year was just a half and a full marathon. Um, and some of the feedback we heard was, you know, um, just having an extra race, different date race distances for different abilities and, um, you know, making it more of a community event so that um, not just half marathoners and full marathoners could run. So we added those distances. So that definitely helped with the growth as well. 
Um, the 5K and 10K are, are very small comparatively, always sell out. Um, all races sold out last year. So um, we, we kind of um, keep those numbers uh, preserved and, and, and kind of capped um, at, a, at, a, at a comfortable level, uh, we're, uh, at a level we're comfortable with. So, And the 10K and 5K, they're also run on the same day as the half and the marathon? Yes, everything's on uh, Sunday, October 8th this year. So you mentioned a running cup. I've seen that in other races, and I think it's um, it's a very interesting concept. I think I first discussed this with Clint McCormick, who does um, who's the race director of the of the Toledo Marathon, and I know you you followed that discussion as well. The whole concept around capping participants to preserve race experience, or maybe to not grow as fast as maybe the market would demand for an event like that, and 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 minimizing operational risk. I find fascinating. Was that sort of like part of your thinking behind slowing down, putting the brakes a little bit on on growth? It was. You know, we, from day one, we thought, okay, this is demand is going to be here in Boulder. You know, uh, this is such a running mecca. So um, I really um, wanted to put those kind of guardrails in place and preserve the runner experience. That uh, you know, with time, we're going to continue to grow this race. Um, but, uh, it's, you know, some of the feedback we, we hear year after each year is just that this is resembles a kind of boutique marathon experience. You know, it's got those big city, um, you know, marathon amenities, but, um, still has that small town charm and feel. So that's something I'm very aware of, um, and, uh, really want to preserve, you know, as, as we continue to, to grow responsibly. So just putting those, um, those caps in place, allow us to really do that, make us think critically about making sure the venue can accommodate it, the course can accommodate it, um, or that we have enough volunteers and staff so that our runners will feel really special and supported and it's an unforgettable experience. Because I guess in a way you have um, another great event just next doors in, in Denver, Colfax, another marathon, completely different feel to it, right? Completely different feel. Great race too. I love doing it each year and um, you know, definitely uh, a bigger city feel. Um, you know, and a different course altogether. Um, um, but, um, but like you said, nearby as well, about 35 minutes away. So, so you, you mentioned that Boulderthon, it wasn't a race that started from scratch. You, you ended up buying, uh, another race. I think it was called the, the Boulder Backroads Marathon, right? And then you sort of rebranded and built on top of that. Why did you decide to do that? Yeah. The Boulder Backroads, um, it's a great race, a 400-person race, 19 years of history here at Boulder, um, around the Boulder Reservoir, um, which is a really beautiful, picturesque area. Uh, and uh, that was, um, we acquired that race uh, as a way to really start Boulder Fauna, as you've mentioned. Um, and the feedback we heard from the city was, if they're going to approve and permit a new uh, a marathon downtown, uh, we need to be really mindful of the impact to residents as well. So uh, this was our way to bring Boulderthon to life, but not create an additional impact on the race calendar um, for the city of Boulder. So in a way, it was like kind of buying the date or buying the weekend or slot. Um, and uh, my pitch to the city was, let's bring this race downtown. Let's make this a signature marathon experience, a race that all, everybody can enjoy. My favorite days of the year are, are marathon days, whether it's Boston, New York, Chicago, you know, all over. It's just not just as a runner, obviously, um, but as a spectator, you know, as a, as a volunteer, um, hearing all the different stories. I just think it's, it's some of the most inspirational days of the year. And Boulder didn't have that downtown, didn't have that experience. So I said, this is, this is what I'm envisioning. Um, we're not going to add additional impact to the calendar. We're in effect going to upgrade this course, bring it downtown, make it 
make it an amazing day for for the community. So that was critical in launching Boulderthon. We would not be able to do it without uh, purchasing that race. I'm willing to bet that when you looked around and you saw Boulder Backroads, with your kind of background, apart from the one thing that you were set on doing, which made a lot of sense, you know, add the downtown element to it, there must have been other things that you immediately saw that that you you would have wanted to upgrade about Boulder Backroads. And and I'm I'm really curious about a, again a person with your background and approach. What kind of opportunities did you see when you saw Boulder Backroads in terms of what it could become? Yeah, I think, um, you know, number one, just engaging the community, um, bringing out spectators, supporters um, is huge. You know, that was a um, very quiet race um, um, on the back roads, you know, literally in the name. Um, beautiful race, but quiet. And um, so, you know, my vision for it was was quite different. Um, bring the crowds out, bring people out, make it a really fun, uh, unforgettable experience. Um, and, you know, and just kind of reading reviews and uh, feedback on that race. Um, it's it's just it's really un, you know easy to understand where what runners want um, really you know more aid stations more volunteers more support things like that um, so just really kind of being in tune with what the community was looking for out of that race and again bringing that downtown I think were the key elements there. What sort of deliberate things did you do to bring the crowds out? Because I also agree that you know like half of of race experience and race atmosphere is the crowds, which of course is very difficult to do on a marathon. Uh, you know, like I think people sometimes don't get a great feel for how long, you know, like 26 miles is. How how do you bring people out for 26 miles? What did you guys do? A lot of advertising. Um, and, you know, that was a mix of um, just letting everybody know that the race was happening. We do a ton of community outreach, um, door hangers, postcards, uh, months in advance, um, just A, letting uh, the community know that it's happening and any kind of impact, but B, you know, kind of uh, letting people know how to get involved. Um, so, um, you know, we like to say, you know, run, volunteer, or cheer, you know, there's, there's three ways to get involved. So, um, it, it's not just running. Uh, we have a huge volunteer base as well. And I think when it came to downtown, it was really partnering with businesses as well. Um, so that, uh, businesses had an opportunity to come out and support, um, because if businesses are letting their customers know, their staff know that there's this amazing event going on, Boulderthons on this day, um, not everyone's a runner, right? So um, just letting the staff know and, and spreading the word through the businesses, I think, was really um, a key there in, impact there. And, and and just doing fun things like we're giving out cowbells, you know, making it a fun experience, having music, having music on the course always brings people out. I mean, we, even as something as small as just putting designated cheer stations on our course maps that we promote heavily, so people know where you know spectators can can, can find certain spots where they know other spectators will be and kind of congregating around so just trying to put some infrastructure around and, and some um, some guidance there on where where runners can be supported that's very interesting so you actually did things not only which would be every race director's kind of like first instinct to attract runners but also to advertise and engage with the community to bring out the crowds and of course alongside that as you mentioned create allies in the community because you know for most people outside of the people organizing the race and the runners sometimes these things are a big are, are a big you know like hassle for, right. for the local community right exactly and I think that kind of goes back to um, being a business owner in Boulder too um, and and even you know right on the course and it was like always from the start and that was important to the city of Boulder too in my conversations was you know Phil's local Phil's a local business owner um, on on various boards. And in my meetings with businesses, it was, you know, how do we make this a net positive? 
for the community. What are we going to do to make this just, a, after all, we're running a marathon. It's very serious to train. Obviously, it's a big endeavor, but it's got to be fun. It's got to be a great experience for runners. So um, I always ask those questions early on. And as a business owner, I went back to what, what do I want to see, you know, out of a race, whether, you know, at, with Boulderthon, how can this help my business um, just kind of being in that position as an owner? So I think kind of having that perspective early on was important too. So that was part of the pitch, I guess, that, you know, like that, that you were one of them, right? You were one of the businesses in downtown and you said, you know, like, this is what it's going to be doing for us, not for you, other businesses. Exactly. Like I'm equally affected, you know, I'm, I'm on, on the course, uh, you know, I'm, I'm right there with you, you know, so that was, that was a helpful perspective. I still wonder though, and, and I'm sure what you're saying makes it sound super easy, but you've got a New Yorker ro rolling into town. <laughs> Fair enough. You open a business there, which always helps, right? So, so you're becoming part of the community, but come in with all these kind of like bold plans to close downtown and do all of this stuff. There must have been some pushback initially, or 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 some or some, I guess, skepticism at the very least, right? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, there there was, um, especially in, in the earlier years. Uh, you know, before we had our first event, um, there was just. Um, a lot of skepticism, um, you know, folks saying that um, this would never happen. Uh, um, I'll believe it when I see it. Uh, these roads won't be closed. Um, so, you know, I had to tune that out and really just kind of stay focused on that. This can be an amazing event. Um, and then, you know, we had the first event and uh, in 2021 and everyone, um, the, the tunes, the tune changed from there. They, you know, we proved that it was, it was possible. Um, but then, you know, then it already, you know, the, the, the conversation could start, uh, shifting to, well, 1600 runners, you know, uh, Boulder, Boulder, Boulder's 50,000 or Denver Colfax is 15,000 or maybe. So it's like, it's still a small race, but then we got the 4,000, you know, so there's always going to be naysayers no matter where you're at, no matter what level you're at. And I think that's a good lesson, but, uh, I definitely, there was skepticism coming in and, but I think, uh, just kind of coming from a place of authenticity that, yes, I moved here in 2017, I'm a business owner, I'm local and, uh, I'm a runner and, uh, and how do we make this a good thing for everybody? Um, was kind of always how I approached it. Yeah. I think authenticity always helps and it's very difficult to fake and people sort of like pick up on that. Um, but still, I think it would be interesting to understand because lots of people set up, um, races and go into new communities and communities these days. Um, and by these days, I mean probably over the last decade, have grown, you know, a little bit weary of events and, you know, like they're not as welcoming and, you know, like um, inviting as they used to be. And I understand this is a bit of a chicken and egg, but like in your case, you show up in Boulder, was it because I guess what happens in some of these situations is lots of different stakeholders may say, you know, I'm in if you get everyone else on board kind of thing, right? Which becomes a bit of a, of a, of a cast 22. So in your case, how do you begin to basically unravel that situation? Do you first go to the city and like you get the city on board and then you go to the businesses with the city on board? Is it the other way around? Do you bring everyone together? Like, how do you manage the whole process? Yeah, a lot of it's in tandem and in parallel. It's a great question. Uh, definitely a chicken and the egg situation. And at the end of the day, the city is, uh, you know, writing the permit and approving the permit. So I think um, having their, having their buy-in and, and, and making sure they're comfortable with a course, um, kind of really starting with course design um, and making sure that they're on board with that, I think is the first step to unlocking um, the businesses, um, you know, and having that conversation. But like you said, it's, um, it's okay. Here's a course we're comfortable with. 
why don't you chat with these businesses on the, on this street and see if they're comfortable with it and then come back to us. So it's definitely a lot of back and forth, attending a lot of meetings, a lot of different boards and just putting yourself out there and, and getting as much feedback as possible. Um, but that's all kind of happening and that all kind of happened in parallel in the first year um, to under, understand, um, you know, what was the best way to bring it to life. And, and the businesses, would they see bringing all of those crowds downtown, but of course having to close downtown as a disruption and a business killer or a business benefit? Like what would, what was their initial lookout on the whole situation? Yeah, it was mixed, you know, um, coffee shops, restaurants, bars loved it. Um, initially, you know, they're saying like they were excited about it. They want more people coming downtown. Our, our post race surveys said we saw, you know, we saw a huge increase in business because of people coming downtown. Um, retailers, uh, you know, other retailers, um, didn't see a difference or, um, you know, may have seen less business even on, um, certain retailers based on, um, just the, the audience not jiving with, with their, what they were selling. Um, so it was definitely, um, mixed at first. And, um, and that was kind of part of our course redesign too, for this year. And this is, um, you know, it was a point to point course, um, the last two years and, um, and starting at the Boulder Reservoir, finishing downtown, having that downtown finish this year. Now we do the start and finish downtown, which we could chat about some more in terms of logistically being just a lot more, uh, a lot, a lot simpler. Um, but this was one of the, the feedback we heard was if we can stage a downtown race with a start and finish downtown, but have the finish in a slightly different area than the start, um, we can then, um, you know, stay, have an early start. So it wouldn't affect businesses and certain retailers. Um, we'd be able to break down that start infrastructure, you know, within a couple of hours. Um, so by 10 AM, the road's completely open. Uh, um, and then we still have the finish downtown in a more pedestrian area um, that doesn't, um, you know, that only positively affects those businesses. So um, that was a direct result of those kind of board meetings and um, and the feedback from from retailers and businesses was we, we love having the race here. Um, it's, it's, it's a positive impact. Um, we want the roads to be open by a certain time. So we were able to kind of have this, um, the start and finish in two different locations, only about a quarter mile away. Um, even less and, um, and able to reopen those roads. So those are a good example of one of those conversations we've had. Let's talk um, growth because, you know, that, that's that been a big part of the, of the Boulderthon story. And I guess it's, it's closer to your own professional background as well, right? You're a, you're a marketing person. I am. Yeah, I love that part of it. <laughs> awesome. Well, I mean, that's great because lots of race directors hate it. I, I guess that, <laughs> that gave you a bit of a head start, right? It, and by hate it, I mean, you always don't tend to like something that you don't fully understand or are not you're not very good at. And lots of race directors just aren't. Like a lot lots of people aren't. It's not mm-hmm. so much only race directors, right? So so I guess high level, what's been your 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 marketing philosophy going into, you know, you've got an event to market. Um, I guess events have their own kind of thing. I mean, you were in a different kind of business before. How did you think of the task of marketing the race? Yeah, great question. I, I think it's it really wasn't different from previous businesses. It was just starting off by number one, knowing your customer and your customer is you know your runner in this case, um, and um, what do runners want out of um, a Boulder Marathon and, and Boulderthon? So um, you know, always kind of starting from that standpoint of, and that's a continuous process. You know, um, from before we launched the race to now and future years. Um, coming from kind of a, you know, forerunners by runners approach and, you know, understanding what runners are looking for out of this race. What's the number one reason you ran Boulderthon? It was the, it was the course, it was the downtown finish. 
it was the, you know, the runner experience. Okay. So then we really follow that data and double down and say, we're going to create the most, you know, iconic course possible in this city. Um, runners love seeing our volunteers and, and support eight and eight stations out there. We're going to double down and have double the amount of volunteers this year because that's what they walked away remembering. You know, they walked away remembering these amazing elements. So when it comes to marketing, I try to, you know, I, I take a first stab at it and say, I need a great course. You know, I, we were very lucky to, of course, to have such an amazing backdrop. I mean, that's number one, the city of Boulder has got the reputation and the destination. Um, but then it kind of goes back to, um, you know, putting, putting out those marketing ideas and then what are people responding to? What do runners, what are they resonating with? And I think the only way to get that is just talk to runners, be connected, get a good pulse on it, do follow-up surveys. I, I run with, you know, three or four different running groups here, um, you know, every week. So, I mean, some of our, our best ideas have literally come out of, you know, running next to somebody in a group for two and a half hours on a long run in Boulder, you know, it's just kind of comes out of that authentic place. So, um, and so my marketing philosophy to start is just knowing what your customer, knowing what your runner is looking for out of your race. And I think that's different in every race. And then really leaning into that to make that your kind of unique and distinct experience for your runners. It's interesting because when most people think of marketing, they're thinking kind of like, you know, like communicating and advertising and shouting out, right? And and it's interesting that your starting point was essentially the product, right? It's like thinking about what we should build around the race rather than how we should communicate it or, you know, like what channel we're going to be using. I think that's critical. Really understand what is it that you're you're building? What is your product? Like you said, what is the experience? And then um, there's a variety of different ways to market it. But you can't market a good, you know, you can't market a, a poor product, right? So it has to start with that product and that experience. And then we could figure out, okay, these avenues have the best ROI. This is the best way to get the race out there. Um, but until you really understand that, you know, you're, you're, um, you're wasting your time if you don't start with that, I think. So I guess, which is, you know, I had, I, I keep going back to that podcast, super influential podcast with uh, Peter Abraham, who's a bit of a, you know, he's a super, super experienced branding guy. You start with a brand, right? That when we, when we mean product, we, we, we start thinking about what are we trying to do and what does it mean and who are we really? And still, which is another, I, I guess, a surprising twist on all this on the other end, it is remarkably pedestrian sometimes how easy it is to improve things, isn't it? I mean, you know, like you think, how am I going to make that race better? What do people want? And and you sort of start drowning in those questions. And as you say, you have a chat with someone and the answer may be as simple as more toilets or, <laughs> you know, like more volunteers, right? I mean, it's exactly race experience, basically, right? I mean, race experience, I think for many people sounds a bit of a mystical thing, but it really isn't. It breaks down to practical, small things that add to the race. That's what runners remember, you know, and and um, I think that's, that's that's a really important point. Um, you know, I think putting the fundamentals first is just critical in this case. Uh, yes, an amazing course, um, but it's just you know w- what do runners you know walk away remembering in, in a race? Um, if it's put on, if it's organized well, it is um, a fun experience. You know, enough volunteers. Um, it started on time, you know, um, it had a great shirt, great medals. I love the after party. You don't have to queue for toilets on the start line. I mean, pe- people remember that, right? On exactly. the downside, on the downside, they remember all of that stuff. Exactly. On the downside, it, it could be the race didn't start on time. There weren't enough toilets. I waited too long. Um, gear trip took too long. 
the water stations weren't manned, you know, so it, it, you could flip in an instance. And, um, and that's why it's like, that's where you put the investment in terms of uh, the way I think about it is to fund put those fundamentals first. And, um, and that's, what's going to bring runners back. You know, I mean, we had just a, a extraordinary return rate from 2021 to 2022. And I think, um, you know, that's because of that, that race experience and putting these fundamentals first and, um, and you know, your repeat runner is your, is your best customer, um, your easiest customer. They've, they've, they experienced that they know, you know, if they've had a good experience, they're going to come back versus, um, convincing somebody, persuading somebody to come here on marketing and videos and, uh, alone, you know, versus someone who's actually experienced it and can tell their friends and refer other folks to come out and experience the race. Yeah. And in the end, it's just, I guess, basic blocking and tackling race directing, right? It's like just taking care of the stuff that happens. It's interesting because I had, again, I'm going back to the discussion I had um, on Steamboat Gravel. You know, it's an interesting thing, which I guess probably applies to marathons as well, that lots of races maybe go down the athletic route a little bit too much, I guess, because an event like a race is both, you know, the athletic side of it, timing, results, et cetera, the competition, right, I guess, right? right? Uh, but also the experience. And I and I see that lots of events that succeed who are who are de facto more inclusive by doing some stuff, they focus more, I, I don't want to say pampering runners, but just making the whole thing more comfortable and more pleasant for them, right? I mean, some people think, oh, I don't need that many toilets. I mean, you know, like, come on, all these kind of like, you know, entitled runners or whatever. But but there's a fine line there, right? And 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 maybe you want to go 20% extra on some things to make the experience more pleasant for everyone. My team has a joke about me about the toilets because I hate, I hate waiting in line for toilets. So <laughs> it's funny that you keep bringing it I up. I mean, who but, doesn't? <laughs> right? But they're like... Um, Bill, we have more than enough. To, like you, you have too many toilets. I'm like, there can never be too many. <laughs> so yeah, I, I think it's. I just think it's. It's really important. It's what you remember um, in terms of that experience. It can make or break a race. That organization and that execution, like you said. And I think, um, you know, at the end of the day, yeah, it, it's it's just making runners, um, make, making them feel good. Like you know, making um, satisfying your customer. Going back to that, um, what does the runner walk away remembering and um, and making sure it's a great experience? So. And again, one of the other things there is also inclusivity. Lots of the industry is struggling to attract new runners. And I've come to realize that part of that, again, there's nothing mystical about it. The fact that people need to feel welcome, whether it means, you know, like mm -hmm. women having their own toilet facilities or not having to queue because, you know, they have a different physiology than men, I guess, and all kinds of little things like that. You just cannot drop the ball on those things these days. Exactly. Now, Marketing channels, though, I mean, you know, you start from the brand, it's really important. Marketing channels, one of the things you were mentioning to me the other day, which which uh, brought back memories of a, of a chat I had with Ryan Callahan, who, who does, who's the marketing manager for Pacers in DC, and they do the DC have, and actually they attract lots of younger people there as well, is runners need to see you everywhere. Right. right. You need to be everywhere. You need to be multi-channel, you know, like just running Facebook ads won't do. Right. So, so what is your approach there? You hit the nail on the head. I mean, being seen everywhere is going to be the, the key there. I mean, you can't just do Facebook. You can't just do postcards. Um, you know, it, it's got to be a multi, multi-channel approach. Um, I think the number one place to start though, as, as a race director is your local running store, you know, and that's the first tip I'd have in terms of um, go where your runners are, go where your customers are, 
and that is going to be at local running stores. Where, where do your runners go in your community? Um, so, you know, for us, Fleet Feet was, was an obvious uh, partner and, and an amazing partner um, in that we have, they have, you know, runners coming in every day looking to train, looking for new shoes, looking for the next race. So, um, and it could be, you know, thinking beyond running store too, in terms of other wellness er- categories, um, you know, other um, y- y- cycling studios, um, yoga studios, fitness, massage, chiropractors, um, coaches. I mean, anybody in the kind of related, you know, field, I think is a great partner there. But um, for us, it's, it's, it's a mix of multiple channels, um, online and offline. Um, absolutely, digital ads are important. Um, I think um, partnering with running influencers are important, running stores. Um, but the, our goal is um, for everyone to, you know, kind of at least hear a boulderthon. And, um, you know, I've heard that's a great race. I want to learn more about that. And then, you know, that may be the first impression. Somebody mentions it, but then you see it in a, on a, you know, a sign when you walk into Fleet Feet. Um, then you see it when you're scrolling on Instagram. Then you open up Runner's World and you see an ad. You're, okay, fine. I, I've seen it enough. I've got to sign up for it, you know? So I think just that repetition, like in any marketing is going to be key. Um, you know, you may be here on a podcast, um, which is also a really cool avenue that we've explored. So I love trying every kind of um, angle, a marketing channel once at minimum and kind of seeing what that ROI is and understanding what works for our race, what works for BoulderCon, what works in this community. But it's different in each in each um, each community, obviously, and what people respond to. But I think um, trying it all once and then doubling down on the data, really leaning into it and saying, okay, these channels work best for my race and this was the return on my investment. Does this all go back to the thing that marketers love to point to generally that, you know, like there needs to be seven or eight or nine or whatever it is, you know, interaction points before someone buys? Is is it just that basically? I really think so. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I think, you know, certainly some people will hear about us and, and sign up immediately um, or maybe they'll get it from a friend or referral. But I think the majority of, uh, of, of signups are, are just, um, they just hear it over and over again. And sometimes you just need that extra incentive. There's going to be a price increase, say tomorrow, you know, or there's, you know, this, this coupon code that's only valid in this day. So thinking about how to create urgency too, because we've got basically a 12 month window. You know, I look at everything in terms of how are we pacing um, this year versus last year? And, you know, in, 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 the, in this world, it's the time is everything, right? Because um, even having an extra day before the event for signups makes a big difference in terms of how many signups you get. Uh, so using thinking about how to market and have a different um, strategy for each month of the year leading up to the race, whether, you know, it's doing a specific New Year's campaign when, um, when folks are thinking about getting into running again or starting new goals for the year or tying it into a holiday or, um, you know, another local event that's happening, another activation like that, I think is key because the way I see it is, you know, we, we, you know, we have the majority of our signups coming in the last few months, but how do you kind of spread that out and throttle those signups and, and be top of mind for all basically 12 months of the year. Um, yeah. And, um, there's a lot of fun ways to do that with training groups and, and things like that and, and kind of activating partners. But, um, that's how I think about that. It's much tougher than it sounds, isn't it? Doing all this stuff, right? It is. I mean, it's 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 a lot of work. Um, it's turned into a full time job, and I love it. But the marketing side, I really um, I really do enjoy, and um, just coming from that background, and um, and I appreciate that side of it. But it's um, it's it's a year round effort for sure. I mean, I, you show up to a race, and um, and and it's you just you have a great experience, and um, you know anybody in the industry knows that that's, that that took twelve months of planning. <laughs> 
So you've got a great thing going, you've built a great event that people love from the ground up, and you're ready to take it to the next level. But is your technology up to it? If you've been hacking your way so far using different tools for different jobs, having a so-so website and spending hours moving data back and forth from your registration platform to your email marketing provider and so on, it's time you upgraded your tech before you look into upgrading your race. With Run Signups all-in-one technology solution, you'll get all the tools you need and more all in one place to help you build a solid foundation that will help support your race's growth for years to come. Free email marketing, an awesome free custom website, a fully customizable registration experience, and awesome fundraising and participant-to-participant referral tools are just some of the things you'll be getting when you join Run Signups industry-leading platform. With that, you'll get the resources and support you need to get you through the next stages of your growth journey and an amazing suite of race day tools to help you deliver a world-class race day experience to your participants and fans. So, to learn more about Run Signups market-leading technology used by over 28,000 in-person, virtual and hybrid events and to book a free demo tailored to your needs, make sure to visit runsignup.com today. That's runsignup.com and see what Run Signups awesome race technology can do to take your event to the next level. Okay, now let's get back to the episode. You mentioned ROI in relation to, you know, trying things out and looking at ROI, which is, you know, I guess is, is how things need to be done. For things like grassroots type stuff, right? How easy is ROI to get to get a handle on? Uh, is my first question, and then because like you know, like I think one of one of the most appealing things about things like Facebook ads is that it's very easy to track ROI. So you know, at least that they've got going for them. Whereas, what the impact of putting a couple of flyers up or like a poster in in a in a fleet fit shop may not be as obvious, or or, or you know, like setting up a, like a like a running group or something like that. So first question is. How do you try and get a handle on ROI from this grassroots stuff? And two, now that I guess you've moved into, you know, having to cut participants and being in the thousands, do you still invest as much in these grassroots initiatives, which I guess are more around awareness and stuff, or have you shifted away from that as you, as the event matures? Still very much investing in the grassroots. And uh, I'm a big believer in, in, in tracking the ROI um, via discount codes, whether it's online or offline. So even if it's small, um, you know, it's really just to understand where did we acquire that runner from? Um, so in the fleet feed example, like you said, even if it's a postcard, which are very cheap, so you can print a lot of promo cards and postcards and print versus digital ads too. Um, so that the ROI potential is very high on that. Um, even putting a smaller discount code just allows us to understand where runners are coming from, um, and or a different URL. You know, if you don't want to put a, a put a monetary value on it, maybe put a different registration URL, um, a QR code that you know kind of links through a fleet feet signup page. So just kind of thinking critically about how you know understanding where your runners are coming from, I think is going to be key there. But for planning sakes, I think any other race director can appreciate too. It's just you know, shirts, medals, um, these big ticket items where you're ordering months and months in advance. So to have an understanding of where your participant count sits as early as possible and have some reliability on what to expect um, is key because you can underorder, you can overorder, obviously, and it makes a big difference when it comes to the cost of, of some of those runner amenities and, and entitlements. Um, so we're still young enough that we're, you know, in our third year at Boulderthon where 
um, I still believe very heavily in, in investing in, um, you know, online and offline. So I can have an understanding of where our kind of participants gonna uh, gonna land this year. Um, and again, kind of having that constant flow of signups versus everyone waiting till the last moment. Um, so being think, thinking about those price, um, those price step ups and increases throughout the year, those different campaigns and discount codes with our various partners all plays into that. And in terms of what you mentioned earlier about doing different stuff throughout the year, right? So basically also the mix of how those channels work and how they come in and out of the of the marketing campaign on the um, on the run up to the event changes. Can you give us a, like a slight idea of that in terms of when you decide to put ad spending in or do other stuff? Like how, how do you structure that throughout the year? I, I'm a very visual person, so I love doing a marketing calendar, um, really simple kind of in, in Google um, marketing calendar that really just allows me to see and color code it in the sense of what are our partner activations, what are our direct um, kind of marketing campaigns, when are we sending emails to our uh, to our runners, um, and you know uh, what in person events do we have? So kind of really looking at that and seeing it all visually throughout a 12 month calendar is really helpful. Um, because you can very easily see, okay, in February, we don't have any in-person events. You know, let's let's work with a local, you know, running store or partner with, you know, a massage studio and put out flyers or do a start a run from there, you know, and, and you can kind of see where your gaps are and see where you can fill things in and just making sure our, our consistency of communication is there too with our email newsletter. Um, so, okay, we say, we're going to say, we're going to email, um, you know, our runners, um, you know, once or twice a month leading up to the event. And um, announcing, you know, certain type of incentives, um, whether it be kind of an announcement of what the medal looks like, um, or a, even a competition for the medal. You know, that's a, something we've done every year. Is one of our own runners always designs our medal, um, and that's that's a super fun kind of campaign. That's just that starts very early on. You know, right around in January in our events in October. So already we're starting to engage people thinking about Boulderthon. Can I design the Boulderthon medal that's going to be around? you know, 6,000 uh, runners next this year. Um, and, um, and we put a cash prize on it too. So um, just things like that. And thinking about like, how can we engage? Um, when do we do the reveal of our, our finisher shirt? Um, there's just a lot of different opportunities throughout the year to get people excited about the event. For a company like Fleet Feet, which is obviously an endemic brand, it's like right in there in running, very good alignment between the event and them. It makes a lot of sense for them I'm guessing you do your packet pickup there like people do, right? So like, so it, it, it's a good opportunity for them to get new people into the store. They go there, they pick their packet and, you know, they shop around. When you go to, I guess, a more tangential business like a gym or a massage studio, as you said, or even a local restaurant, right? What's, what, what's in it for them when you say, you know, I'm going to leave some flyers here or, you know, like, please help me pro promote the rest. How, how do you, how do you position that for them? Yeah, it really depends on the um, on the establishment, um, but um, you know, tangentially, you know, here there's just a, there's a lot of interest in health and wellness, so there's a lot of areas to kind of tie back into that. Um, but you know, when it comes to say say for a restaurant, um, you know, we would I, I, the way I think about it is just putting myself in their shoes. You know, how can this event help me? Um, so you know, one one example would be we work with a bar to create the official cocktail Boulderthon afterwards. You know, and and that would just be, you know, an opportunity for someone to have a healthier, you know, beverage, you know, alcoholic beverage that they can enjoy that the, that the restaurant can then market to 
um, their, you know, their, their customers and say, okay, this is how we're engaging and partnering with Boulderthon. You know, we know everyone's going to be out here, come and have this beverage, you know, and maybe another, maybe another restaurant will wants a non-alcoholic option for our runners. Um, right. So I think there's always a way to think about, you know, how do we tie this in and make it relevant? So it feels organic and isn't just a paid partnership. Um, and that's kind of how I approach the sponsorship side things as well is what is a way that like makes sense for, um, you know, for, for you to partner with Boulder Thon, which it's a gym. I mean, strength training is just so important for runners. So it's, um, um, you know, whether it's recommending, okay, do your strength training for Boulder Thon once a week at this gym. Um, and you'll be, you'll have stronger, you know, a stronger core and you'll be ready to run the challenging course of which, which it is of Boulder Thon at altitude, finding that natural tie-in, that kind of organic tie-in with this, with the part or the sponsor really goes a long way. And I guess this is what people, and that's the term I use sometimes, mean when they say marketing sponsorships, right? Which is basically, you know, you have your cash sponsorships, you have your in-kind, and then you have your marketing sponsorships, which have a lot of value because basically you get a sponsor on board and they bring you participants directly or indirectly. It's exactly right. Every single one of our sponsorships, actually, whether it's cash, all cash, all in-kind, you know, or a mix, I mean, even at all cash, every one of our partners um, we include in our kind of partnership that there's cross promotion, um, uh, you know, that they'll also be promoting Boulderthon to their their clients and customers, and 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 not without a kind of unique twist, you know. Again, going back to that tie-in, and never without some kind of discount code or incentive. Um, it could be a cash discount code. It could be a free pair of uh, of socks. You know, it could be a free, you know, some kind of merch. Um, but always trying to tie in like what does this Boulderthon partnership look like? How can I kind of um, you know engage in this in a natural way? So I think um, I think having that, that that's been a key part of our success too is that every single one of our partners is promoting Boulderthon as we are promoting them. Podcasts is something that I first hear you mention as like you know like a, a significant part of 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 of, um, of a marketing strategy. What kind of things do you guys do there? We do advertising with podcasts, just, you know, some of the uh, larger running podcasts um, where, again, just where are runners, uh, what are runners listening to, what are they watching, what are they doing, you know, and, and just what podcast am I listening to, you know, and, and so it's just kind of coming from that place as a runner too. So I think, you know, um, putting that incentive out there, putting some kind of um, a discount code out there. This year, we're uh, partnering with Marathon Trading Academy to do a live podcast from the Pearl Street Mall during Expo. So that'll be a really unique kind of um, experience for um, for us and bringing in a, a special guest for that. Um, so that was, you know, started off as kind of a traditional partnership, but then it was, why don't we come out here and do a live podcast from Boulderthon, from the heart of the Pearl Street Mall and the Expo. So that was just another way to kind of elevate the um, the, the partnership. And in the run up to the event, maybe you you also, I guess, find running podcasts around Colorado or something like that. Is that the idea, basically, where you're almost like an influencer, but it's it's a podcaster, basically? Exactly. Yeah. And that's, that's one of the first questions. A lot of um, different companies have reached out to us and we do a lot of outreach too. And it's like, what is your listener uh, ship in, in Colorado? What, you know, how many people are actually listening in Colorado? And um, because about 60% of our runners are from Colorado, about 40% come from outside. Um, so it, it is definitely quite a destination race and a lot of folks are coming out. Um, and, um, but then we'll target specific markets too, um, to your point, whether it's Colorado or elsewhere, um, you know, we're seeing really strong kind of runner signups from California, New York, Texas, Florida, Chicago, kind of these big running markets, um, unsurprisingly. But 
then we'll zero in on, you know, who are people listening to there? Who are the influencers there? Um, and really um, kind of um, hyper-focus our marketing around around those uh, markets. And then you can really see too, um, you know, if you're taking a totally national approach to it, you may not necessarily understand or see where your runner signups are coming from. Whereas if you're just focusing on say, you know, four or five different markets um, and say, you know, say last year we had very, very few signups, um, you know, just making this up in, in Austin, Texas. Um, and then we really dive in and say, okay, we're going to partner with this podcast. Uh, we're going to, you know, do this kind of activation with this um, running group. And uh, we're going to partner with this major influencer there. Um, we started at state zero or very few signups. And what did we get to in 2023 um, based on those, you know, activations? So I think you can kind of really quickly understand, you know, what that, um, what that return looks like on your investment when you look at it that way. We haven't actually touched on uh, influencers in great detail in the podcast. I think I think we should do more around that. How does that work? Yeah, so we we do a lot of outreach with influencers and basically say, um, give them an overview of the event. Hey, we're reaching out from Boulderthon, uh, Boulder Marathon, fast, fastest growing event here in Colorado. Beautiful course. It's at altitude. We always like to tell everybody a mile high. It's a challenging course, um, and um, we're looking for influencer partnerships. Um, you know, influencers who are excited to come experience Boulder ultimately, um, and, and, and experience the weekend because yes, the race weekend's amazing. Um, but you know, there's so much to do here beyond the race and just kind of making it an experience and a marathon weekend experience. Um, whether it's, you know, going to the breweries afterwards, doing a kind of a hike afterwards, you know, just, um, visiting the art galleries. I mean, there's just so much to do. Um, so I think it kind of happens pretty organically because basically we do cast a really wide net with our influencers at first and say, um, you know, here are the, you know, here are the incentives for coming out here. Here's kind of what the compensation uh, would look like. We'd love to have you. We think we'd resonate with your audience. Are you interested? And the ones that aren't just interested will just never respond, right? The ones that are interested are actually really, really excited about coming here either for the first time or having been here before and wanted to come back that, um, you know, the, the partnership really, um, takes on a really nice life of its own track club, babe in San Diego and, and Caitlin Miller, just to some of our two earlier influencers where they're just so excited to come out here. And we're just so excited to have them that the partnership is really, again, organic and authentic. Um, and, um, and it comes through in their posts, you know, and it comes through in how they talk about it. And, uh, they're tagging other friends saying, Hey, are you going to come meet, meet me up in BoulderCon? Let's do a meetup for, um, for, you know, for everyone who follows me there. Um, so it's just kind of, um, I would say, you know, reaching out to a variety of different influencers, different backgrounds, different kind of followers and seeing what resonates. And then when you find those that are a good fit, um, that is going to result, I think, in the ones that resonate most because they're going to, they're going to promote it in a really authentic way. And the transaction quote unquote aspect of all that, what does that look like for you for the race? Are you just offering up? a free place in the race or are you like for, for, um, the runner you mentioned in San Diego, would mm -hmm. you pay expenses? How does that work? Yeah. So we, we'll pay, um, full expenses to come out here, um, hotel, airfare, um, uh, a, a cash incentive as well, um, depending on the, the partnership. Um, but for us, um, it kind of goes back to our sponsorships too. It's, um, you know, having, um, an official hotel, having official airline, um, you know, and, and making sure there are, are trade credits within, um, those partnerships so that we can bring our influencers out. We can bring VIPs out in official sponsorship. And maybe there's a way to tie in our sponsor too. 
um, you know, in that experience, you know, I'm going out to Boulderthon courtesy of, of, of this airline, I'm staying at this hotel, uh, you know, and um, I'm having a great experience here, you know, so that's, um, I think it's, it's creating an overall experience, you know, obviously budgets are, are still limited. So it's about who is going to be most excited about it and where we can kind of have the greatest overall partnership. So we don't have a ton of, of influencer partnerships, but, you know, five to 10 really key partnerships where we can provide that full expenses paid, you know, weekend um, experience here in Boulder, I think will go a lot further than just say, here's a free race entry, you know, find your way out here. Um, it's kind of like going deeper, um, fewer, more high quality relationships, I'd say. Very interesting. And did I, am I correct in, in thinking that I saw somewhere on, on LinkedIn, I think it was, that um, Fitz Kohler is your, your announcer for 2023? We're so excited to have her, yes. That's great. What do you think? I mean, another another area, I guess, um, of the race experience where maybe the return on investment, you know, really, if people have to look at that, may not be as obvious for many people. It's a, it's a big expense for many races. I think it's a sign of a very ambitious event to be investing in that area, particularly early on. Make the case for our listeners for having someone like Fitz or another great announcer in the event. So we did our, our post-race follow-up survey and uh, uh, after last year's event. And, you know, one of the biggest um, takeaways was everyone loved our announcer. I mean, it was, it was, came, we have a free form section of it. And I couldn't believe how many times people said the announcer was amazing. She was so much fun, uh, brought such a good energy. We had, we just kicked off the race in such a fun way. It wasn't Fitz, it was a different uh, announcer. Unfortunately, she was unavailable this year, but um, but that was like, okay, this is critical. I mean, this is, I'm not even, I'm not, I'm not asking rate the announcer from one through 10. People are just literally writing in free form. The announcer is what made my race experience because it started off fun. We were dancing, we were screaming, we were having a great time. So I'm like, this really matters, you know? And, um, so just go, listening to the runner, kind of going back to that and, and following what the feedback is. Um, so, um, I, you know, and, and then I just said, who else is out there that, um, you know, top tier kind of announcer, because this is important to our runners. This is something that they mentioned in their surveys. And um, it's, it's kind of hard to find. I got to be honest, I was trying to listen to a lot of different announcers, unless you're there. Um, you know, I'm literally listening to announcers and how they do the, how they call the races and um, I've, I've listened to fits. And I just loved her energy. So I think she'll be a great fit for our race. Well, absolutely. I think she's right up there, right? I mean, yeah. she does all, all the great events. She's just, again, going back to authenticity, not faking it, you have to have that kind of energy, right? Exactly. I have a last question for you on marketing, and I want to sort of like wrap up with a couple of quick fire stuff on other stuff. So again, going back to ROI, I think it's important and, it, and, it's, and it's really important to have you here and have that kind of background and be so focused on ROI. So maybe you can, you can help me understand something else here. So online versus offline. I mentioned Ryan Callahan, who does the DC half. I was really surprised, particularly because his event is very heavy on younger runners, to hear that they got amazing ROI on offline stuff, which, which which I get the feeling is really off people's radar because it's all like, you know, like you're thinking online, online, online. That's where most of us spend our time these days. So it's easy to, to sort of lean towards that naturally these days. And offline obviously seems to work quite a lot. You mentioned the grassroots, the running groups, the, you know, like the running stores, the gyms, the doing all that. And ROI, you also mentioned, which I think is really interesting, that you use either a separate URL, so you can track what people register from specific initiatives, or a QR code that leads to that URL, or a discount code. 
So that bit is really clear. I wonder how much does like a time-adjusted ROI in this sense is part of your calculation? Because these offline stuff, they take up a lot of time, right? It's not just the money you spend into them, you know, like, like printing flyers. Being there, it's, it's, it's a big commitment time-wise. D- does that factor into how you think about what I should be doing more of? Yeah, it definitely does. I mean, whether it's, it's my time or um, we, we have marketing support and on our team as well, I, I factor all that into it in just the overall cost of uh, of the uh, the campaign. So you know, just breaking it down by the component. If we're producing, you know, um, a thousand simple example, a thousand postcards or flyers um, for a hundred dollars, and um, and then we're paying our marketing person X number of hours, or I'm there myself X number of hours. Um, okay, the overall cost is this, and we got two signups from that whole endeavor. Maybe it's not worth it. Um, but if we get 10 signups, absolutely, it's worth it. You know, so I think it's just kind of really just understanding what that ROI is, how much, the, what the cost is time-wise, what the cost is to actually print the materials, which is often very cheap. Um, and I think it's an overlooked category, and I'm glad we're talking about it, just because um, everyone is so inundated by Instagram ads and Facebook ads um, that it's it's hard to stand out, and it's it is a very costly you know kind of um, campaign if not run effectively. And you could be paying a lot for clicks that aren't converting, and, and or not knowing if they're converting. Um, whereas if you get something physically in your hand, or you are having a conversation, looking at, you know into someone's eyes and having a conversation about the race, that really stands out. You'll remember that experience, you know. Um, that um, versus just mindlessly scrolling on Instagram and, and stripping through an ad. So um, I, I think I, I can't under can't underestimate you know how how important that is. And I think it's just it's it's really important to understand all all the aspects of it. But we've seen a great ROI on it, um, and um, I, something we're going to continue to invest in. So you're actually including a man hour cost item when you do your ROI. Exactly. Yep. Wow, super important. Yeah, I mean, in that, that's exactly my question, right? So, so how does that trickle into it? And still, even given the cost and the man hours behind it, still you see great ROI off of grassroots and offline stuff. It's worth doing, absolutely. And I think as long as you can track it back. So again, having that unique URL like we talked about, having a some kind of discount code. Um, you know, you can ask during registration to uh, where did you hear about Folderthon um, or where did you hear about this race. So. Um, not everyone always answers that the right way. So that can be a little bit tricky, but um, it could just be another data point in it. Um, and, um, and and just, you know, understanding. And I, anytime I talk to someone who's running, how did you hear about us? You know, um, where, where, where did you hear us? It's always so interesting to hear, oh, I learned about it from this person or I heard about it from this. I was on this running group and this person mentioned it to us. So um, there's no question that um, those man hours pay off and, and, um, and it just depends on where you're at in your kind of race cycle. Again, we're we're this is our third year, so we're very very young race. So for us, it's just about promoting the you know the race, bringing that awareness, letting people know what Boulderthon is. I had a couple of questions, uh, sort of at this stage around race experience, but I, I think mm-hmm. we sort of touched on them organically throughout the discussion. You know, w- when you mentioned all the things that you guys are doing with, you know, more volunteers on the course, more aid stations, more toilets, that side of things. The big question, of course, there, because everyone would love to have uh, more volunteers, and I know it's a bit of a struggle these days for people, is what tricks do you guys have up your sleeve 
around that, around volunteer recruitment? I look at volunteer recruitment as I look at registration, participant registration. So everything we just talked about in terms of um, marketing for registrations are applies to volunteers, really. So um, it, you know, registration for volunteering, um, though it starts a bit later on, um, you know, closer to the race. We do. We basically mirror our um, our participant kind of marketing with volunteer marketing. So if we're putting up an ad on Instagram for to sign up for the race, we're going to also put up a second ad to volunteer for the race. Um, same thing with the Fleet Feed partnership and and our running groups. Um, but I think it, it just comes down to um, volunteers can spread like wildfire if you're if you're targeting the right groups. So reaching out to schools, um, anybody looking for volunteer hours, uh, groups. Kind of going back to the the why again. Why do why would why do why would a runner want to sign up for Boulderthon? You know, knowing that product and experience like we talked about earlier. Why would you want to volunteer for Boulderthon? Very clear benefits: fifty percent off next year's race. You get an awesome long sleeve shirt. You get community service, um, and you get to support runners. You get to make runners smile. You get to make their day. You know, so just encapsulating that experience um, in all of our marketing about why volunteer for Boulderthon um, is also kind of. Again, going back to the the, um, the marketing and the why of, of why you know why runners and why why volunteers sign up. So we market volunteers just like we do uh, runners, and kind of use those same avenues. It's just a little bit later in the cycle um, towards the race. One other interesting thing we do is we also just anytime we get a, a critical group of ten or more volunteers, um, they are able to brand their kind of volunteer and aid station. And I think, and that's something that we tried out in the first year and everybody loved it. I mean, it was like, we were at the point where we, yeah, there were five people from a volunteers from a group and um, just to get that s- nice sign at the volunteer station, personalize it, brand it, um, you know, have that kind of identity there. They would easily find five more uh, volunteers to join them, you know, for that incentive. And then we paid for that, that sign at our cost, but it was absolutely worth it to bring in extra volunteers. So just, just thinking through like why they're volunteering, how to make it a special experience. Um, and a lot of that is just for them seeing their name, their logo, their brand, um, having their identity on the course and, and being part of the race. I can definitely see the appeal of that. How does the branding work? What are the rules around that? Because I guess you need to have some rules. Yeah. So again, just uh, and making sure there's at least 10 volunteers from your group um, will kind of unlock that branding opportunity. And then um, we require their um, their kind of a proof of their vol- of their of their logo, their their team name, their group, um, what they want to put on their sign, um, and we would um, work with them to develop that that sign um, and that what that design looks like. And then we we'd be you know basically onboard them into the volunteer experience. So going through um, volunteer training, uh, making sure they know what they're what they're doing, what station they're at. Um, and, and also just, again, kind of where, where, how can we make this kind of an organic partnership? So, um, one of our car, our car sponsorships, um, our EMECVW is on the course. So, um, we said, well, what a great opportunity to engage with them as volunteers. I mean, they're literally on the course, we passed their car dealership. So they're bringing out, you know, a ton of volunteers to kind of staff that aid station. They've got the additional exposure of having their branding out there. And they're, they're sitting in front of their, their, you know, right in front of their car dealership. So um, that could be, you know, uh, it could also be in front of a restaurant partner, um, you know, it could be in front of, you know, we pass fleet feet on the course. So I, I love looking at the course design too. Who am I, who are we passing on the course? That could be a great partner. Um, this year we're going in their new course into, um, in, into Boulder County, um, passing a, um, 
the, the charming town of Naiwat, um, which has a great, um, great schools, really cool little restaurants and shops. So that as soon as we heard that, we said, let's partner with the town of Naiwat to, um, to engage on a volunteer level. And they've been really supportive of that too. So I think even just looking at your course and like, who are we passing? And is there an opportunity to engage volunteers could be a great starting point too. Yeah, that's a that's a brilliant strategy. I mean, it, it all sounds quite simple, but, but I definitely see how how the the appeal of it would be, particularly with with sponsors bringing out their own teams or other other companies and businesses around the course. It's just it's like with so many things we we're talking earlier about uh, marketing and how that sort of ties in with sponsors and all of that stuff. You need to find and you need to get into the habit of looking for those win win kind of partnerships, right? Exactly. That's exactly right. That's how I think about it. How can it benefit them as well? Put yourself in their shoes. And for someone like Uber Eats, which um, I saw a recent announcement, they helped you with uh, local restaurant discounts, I think, throughout the week before the event and stuff like that. How did that partnership come about? Because it's a big name and I haven't seen this kind of thing before. Yeah, this went back to the um, having the moving the start downtown. So uh, the feedback too was uh, from last year was you know the finish was amazing, the course was amazing. We want to have the start, uh, you know, logistically getting on a shuttle. Obviously, a lot of big races do it, um, but it logistically it's very hard. Um, and um, there's a there's a time component. You get up earlier, things like that. So we um, first decided we wanted to move the start downtown. We wanted to I wanted to do that from day one, but this was kind of take things in steps. Um, prove to the city and the community that we could, um, you know, uh, put on an awesome race. So um, once we had kind of a critical mass and enough people to 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 move the course and expand the course, um, I said, okay, we'll bring it, bring the start uh, downtown. Um, and then I, I wanted to create this concept of of a start village, um, which would be really a fun atmosphere with food, coffee, amenities as you wait for the race to start downtown, and that tied into this new start. Um, so then thinking about the start village, it w- I started to think, you know, which sponsors would be, which partners would, would be most aligned with this. We, we, you know, it really comes down to food and, and coffee. And, you know, so we started having conversations with, um, you know, restaurants individually. But then if you think, well, who has kind of access and who has uh, partnerships with hundreds, thousands of restaurants? And Uber Eats became a kind of natural fit there in the sense that they already have these relationships. They want to expand the restaurant relationships. And they want to expand their customer base, obviously. Um, but because they have those existing relationships, they were kind of a perfect partner to bring this start village to life and support us by you know, bringing coffee in and food and amenities and making it a really great experience. So kind of a natural fit. Um, we had an existing relationship through the, um, through the restaurants that I mentioned earlier, through our restaurants. So we're already partners with them. And then we um, shared with them the idea of the of the start village, and they um, they loved it. I think when lots of people hear those kinds of stories, on some level, they sound like very common sense, no brainer type of stuff. I'm pretty sure lots of race directors actually understand this kind of thinking, and they understand how to find people that align exactly the kind of thinking you went through. And then they're like, okay, I need an Uber Eats here. But that's where the difficulty begins for most people, because, you know, like Uber Eats is not Fleet Feet, is not the local gym. They, they can't just, you know, turn up at the desk and say, hi, you know, we're doing a race. We're going to pass through here. This is what we're going to do. So how that how did that bit work for you? You're like, OK, Uber Eats is who we need. What next? You know, in, in this experience, uh, we, we we did have a relationship with Uber Eats because of the restaurants, but 
I could use a, a different example would be, it really is just casting that wide net. I mean, I can't tell you how many calls and emails that I've sent thousands, you know, to sponsors, and we're looking at a very curated um, strategic sponsor list, you know, say of 50 sponsors this year. I mean, that is, um, you look at that big, oh, yeah, that's awesome. They've got these amazing sponsors. But the amount of the amount of work that goes into that and outreach, I mean, 99% of folks won't respond. And, and you can't take that personally. Um, but I would say that, you know, you know, one of our goals for next year is to, um, to sign a multi-year title sponsor. And, um, you know, we're having those conversations now. Um, but, you know, the first probably six months of this, you know, the last six months of this year um, has been just finding out, you know, who is interested, who is the right person to talk to, kind of who's the decision maker in those sponsorships. So it, it just takes a lot of time. And, you know, now for 2024, there's a, you know, a, we have a, a number of different uh, title sponsors interested and we're having those conversations and planning ahead. But it's just, it's just, I would say it starts, if you don't have a contact there, then it just, it starts at very, very ground level. Um, and it's a lot of outreach and it, often it's just no response. And then you get a response. Here's the best person to talk to. Okay. I'm out of office. Talk to this person. Okay. Let's talk in this month later. And and you just have to really start building those, it, building those relationships. It just takes time. Um, and it's not for everybody. I mean, it's, um, because of that marketing and sales kind of background that I have, again, I, I like that part of it. Um, and thinking about how we can create strategic sponsorships, but sales isn't for everybody. So <laughs> I know it's, it's, it can be tricky. Uh, definitely. Many people may be curious to know for an event that has reached very decent growth, like Boulderthon and visibility being in the thousands. Does this kind of like, has has the balance shifted in your favor? Do you get incoming stuff as well as having to knock on doors, as you were mentioning for the title sponsor? Like, do, do people now come to you? They do now. Um, yeah, definitely was not the case the first year, really not even the second year. Having that experience, um, sponsors coming back um, was and having that initial experience is a really important piece of it because, you know, we have sponsors that start off as an expo booth. And then have come a step up to a higher level because they had a great experience and they experienced the race. Um, so I always kind of, you know, I, I would rather sponsors come and experience the race because it's hard for me to sell sell the experience as well as, you know, just experiencing it yourself. So if if the budgets are tight with a sponsor, I'll say, come have it, come get an expo booth. You know, there's only a few left this year. Experience it. Let's start the relationship this year so you know what Boulderthon is all about. Um, but I think that's um uh, that that's been definitely changing this year in that a lot more inbound, uh, just people hearing about the race, having a great experience. So that's been a nice shift, um, I would say, for sure. That's definitely the attitude I get from uh, many people who have very successful races and, and who seem to have endless rosters of sponsors down the line, that it all starts with the relationship, getting people involved, right? Whether it's like, don't don't split hairs over, you know, like $100 here or like, you know, what am I getting out of this? Like, you know, the, the, the constant focus that people have, which is completely wrong of what am I getting out of this rather than the sponsor and stuff, right? It, it's more about starting that relationship, proving yourself and just growing that organically from there, right? Exactly. And and making sure that the, the return was there for them as well, you know, and, and the value was there and um, and, 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 you know, anytime we have an opportunity to go above and beyond for the sponsor, you know, uh, even if it's not in the contract, I'll do it because I know that I'm building that long-term relationship and I'm, 
I would like them to come back in, um, in, in a, on a higher level next year. So I think um, those little things really matter too. Well said. I think, Phil, that's um, everything I had. I think we covered quite a lot of ground. I'm really happy about all the marketing stuff, particularly. People are going to, I'm, I'm hoping people are taking notes. If people want to reach out to you, uh, you, you seem like a very uh, welcoming, inviting, <laughs> helping people type of guy. How can they do that? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I'm on Instagram, Phil Dumonte, P-H-I-L-D-U-M-O-N-T-E-T. Um, or phil at boulderthon.org um, is my email address. And um, love love hearing from runners, talking to runners. Um, and of course, if you're at Boulderthon this year, please say hello and introduce yourself to me. I love meeting new people. It's in my bucket list. Uh, I'm not sure when I'll, when I'll make it over there, but it's, <laughs> it's definitely in my bucket list. Looks amazing. And, and running by the flat irons and stuff is quite an experience. Phil, thank you very much for your time. I hope everyone listening in enjoyed this. So thank you very much. Thank you so much for having me. It was a lot of fun. I appreciate it. Awesome. All the best with Boulderthon 2023. Thanks again to everyone listening in. We'll see you all on our next podcast. I hope you enjoyed today's episode on Boulderthon with Boulderthon's race director, Phil Dumonte. You can find more resources on anything and everything related to race directing on our website, racedirectorshq.com. You can also share your thoughts about some of the things discussed in today's episode or anything else in our Facebook group, Race Directors Hub. Many thanks again to our awesome podcast sponsor and sign up for sponsoring today's episode. And if you enjoyed this episode, please don't forget to subscribe on your favorite player and do check out our podcast back catalog for more great content like this. Until our next episode, take care and keep putting on amazing races. <laughs>